This is AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, episode 96. Today I'll be speaking with Margot Ginger, author of Shift Happens, a memoir, Breakdowns During Life's Long Hauls. Margot will share her experience with mental illness, alcoholism, and what she learned about herself as an over-the-road trucker in the early 1980s. Margot, how are you doing? And thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, John, and I'm doing quite well. I really enjoyed reading your book. I always I like memoirs because I feel like I almost get to know the person, and then it's a double bonus for me to actually get to speak with the author after reading the book. So I'm just really grateful that you would take the time to do this. If you've read the book, you know me. <laughs> okay. You know my history. <laughs> Why don't we just start from the beginning? You're growing up in Eureka, um, California, and you you just describe that as you know you you your father was a doctor, and you grew up in a house where you know you were well taken care of and so forth. Um, but there were some issues in the family, and I wonder if you might want to talk about your growing up in Eureka um, a little bit. Oh my goodness! My take on my mother was that she was a 1950s housewife, and she. She grabbed the brass ring. She married a doctor. And so there was wealth and there was status. And that was what I think social convention said she should desire. But I think what happened is there's this uh, essay by Alice Walker that talks about what if all you wanted to do was paint the landscape and the sunset, but you had to pick cotton to 12 hours a day? I think my mother would have liked to have written poetry. I think she would have liked to have branched out, but she chose a life of uh, being a doctor's wife, and I think it made her unhappy. And I think uh, that was what her solution became drinking too much rather than, you know, getting into a recovery. And I think I wanted to make her happy. That's what I took on or received from my family, the message, if only I could make her happy. And then I think that expanded into, I need to make everybody happy. That's my job or something. And it was not, I was not successful in making friends. I also had a quite a talented and gifted brothers, mm-hmm. all three of them in their own right. And I just took on that I wasn't good enough. And at the time, and this is probably just because of, you know, where women were at that time and how they were treated, your father really didn't expect much of you, did, did he? He was just expecting you to go out and get married and have children. And that was pretty much it. You know, he he took all of my brothers in uh, competitive swimming, AAU swimming, Mm -hmm. and they did quite well. He took them camping. He took the, I call him the golden brother. It's not fair to call him (laughs) that. But uh, he took the golden brother on a whaling ship and to see a, an old growth redwood cut down and to the, and you know, on and on. And yeah, I wore dresses and went to San Francisco and stayed with my grandmother and we went shopping. 
and I wasn't, I was more of a tomboy, I think, and I didn't get to go. And I thought up until AA recovery, I actually thought that my dad, I didn't give him any credit. And then he was an eight millimeter uh, video camera guy. And in recovery, I, I just, I finally, I spent like over a thousand dollars and I had all his eight millimeters transferred to DVDs and I sent copies to all my brothers. And then we sat down and watched them and I was the star. I was <laughs> the star of the videos. I was just all over those videos and I had no idea. I had no memory that he paid so much attention to me. Isn't that sad? I had to write a letter and burn it, you know, and do a little meditation thing to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, something else you described about your relationship with your mother that um, seems to be almost a recurring theme with um, other women that I have met and talked to um, in AA. And it's that, and and you wrote about this after she died, that all these... um, other women came up and, and talked to you about how much um, your mother meant to them and how much they did yeah. for them and what a wonderful person yeah. she was. And it was like, it's like, that wasn't your experience with her. <laughs> and and yeah. um, that seemed to be, you know, a little bit of sadness that came with that. Oh, tremendous sadness and jealousy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, the counselor, my counselor that I've, you know, had off and on for years said, well, you were her confidant. And I, in that way, I was mm. in that she would, she would oftentimes share her judgmental nature with me about other people and not with, with the friends. Yeah. And that was confusing. But the best thing that happened was, um, in the writing of the book, I was talking to one of the women that just, oh, adopted my mother, mm-hmm. just loved her so much. And she said, the only thing I remember your mother ever talk, saying about you, Margo, is that you were like a chameleon, and she never knew who was going to show up at the door mm. when you came over. And that just shifted my perspective, because it, it, there's some truth to that. Sure, sure. <laughs> there's quite a bit of truth to that. And, you know... um, and I, I could relate to a lot of what you wrote when you um, wrote about your um, mental illness. Um, I'm mm-hmm. treated for depression. I don't know if I have bipolar, oh. but I can I can see a little bit of that in me. Mm-hmm. I also have a brother that has schizoaffective disorder. So it was really oh. interesting for me when I was reading um, your description of some of the episodes. And I wonder if we can go into that a little bit, beginning with um, one of your early relationships with Jeff. And mm-hmm. he was a drug addict. He was abusive. Um, mm-hmm. You broke off that relationship um, just before you got married and then mm-hmm. went to therapy uh, to deal with mm-hmm. this. And I wonder if you can talk about that time in your life, because that seemed to like lead up to your initial psychic break, if I if I recall that correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I'm going to take a divergent here. Mm-hmm. I just finished the book Lab Girl, and she talked about her bipolar disorder, and she's in the science field. Great book. But the thing that I got out of it was how different her bipolar experience was from mine and how much her bipolar experience reflected her upbringing with her family. And so um, I don't know if we could generalize anymore. I, 
I had generalized that I had the worst bipolar Mm -hmm. diagnosis because of the psychotic episode that Mm -hmm. lasted for so long. Mm -hmm. And now, after reading her book, I've come to think, gee, you know, I can't put a gradation of the spectrum of what bipolar is. Mm -hmm. At any rate, what happened is I started choosing a reality that was in my head. This is my perception of what Mm -hmm. happened. I started choosing a reality that was in my head about becoming important and necessary and worthy rather than accepting that I was a complete failure. And I think the chemical imbalance just said, yeah, go for it. Let's get Let's get high on this and mm-hmm. happy and excited on this. Yeah, and that 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 makes sense to me. And it almost like carried through throughout your book. It it it's it almost seemed like you were a happy person, an adventurous person. Um, and you, I don't know, there was like a certain amount of assertiveness to like what you did, like when. You, you got out of this this relationship with Jeff and it was a, it was a smart thing to do I mean and you just said mm-hmm. okay this is my this is my escape um, he mm-hmm. he was drunk he stepped out of a moving car he ended up going to the hospital and he showed up I think at some time and you just said it's off you know this is it um, and then you went you went to therapy and your therapist was kind of helping you set some boundaries you know the sad part about that is it happened the night before. I was going to get married, Mm -hmm. and I would have married that guy rather than admit I was wrong. Had it not been for that accident? Had it not been for that accident, I would have married him Had rather than admit I had made a mistake. Yep. What What is that? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But shortly right after that, is that when you had... Your first hospitalization? Well, that, it, it, the first hospitalization, let me see, uh, May, June, July, August, September, about four or five months. Mm-hmm. And what happened is that the, the counselor started bur- popping my bubble. And he kept pointing out things like the amount that I was drinking like the amount that I was, uh, what's the kind word to say, being promiscuous. And he, when he pointed that stuff out, I didn't like it. And so I think what happened is when he did this uh, goal setting and I started looking at what I wanted to do as opposed to drinking and, and going home with men is I... Uh, said, wow, I'm going to do this. And I got pretty excited about setting goals and doing things for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I related to, to you. I kind of sometimes find myself uh, coming up with this idea, you know, and it's just, uh, I, I got to do it. And it's just sometimes I go a little bit overboard. Um, but yours, yours was a little bit more serious because it did, it was kind of, it was totally interfering with your life. Um, you were, well, how how did you decide that you you go a little overboard? How do you back <laughs> off from that? Oh God, you know what? It just seems like it happens. Like I'll just give you an example. Um, mm-hmm. One day I just decided I had I used to collect coins as a kid, and mm-hmm. one day I decided I was going to start doing that again. And I couldn't just do it a little bit. I had to eventually create a big website and start selling coin collecting supplies. <laughs> 
And yeah, I had the, I had this course. big I had this big business, and I was gonna mm-hmm. I or I thought it was gonna be a big business, and I was and I started traveling around the Midwest to coin shows, selling these supplies, mm-hmm. and I had my basement full. It was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And finally, I just couldn't. I guess I just kind of gave out of steam, and this is kind of seen what happens to me. Um, mm-hmm. I just gave, gave out of steam, lost interest, and now I have all these coin collecting supplies in my basement that my wife is constantly telling me I need I needed to get rid of. <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of. Stopped. But did you have fun while you were doing it? I did. High and having fun. I did. I did. And there's value. Do you do you think there was value in that time, or did you just say, "Well, I didn't make the dollars, so I'm failed." I wish I could have. I wish I wasn't. I guess I wish I wouldn't have been so spontaneous that Mm -hmm. I would have been able to think about it and plan it out and think about the Mm -hmm. pros and the cons and the time involved, you know, and been been like a a real rational person. But what I did was I just did it, you know. I just you ran on enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And I kind of I kind of sensed that when you were when you had the idea for the school without the administrators yes. and everything. Yes. <laughs> it was just a good idea, you know, and <laughs> So Yeah. So I could relate. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to happen. <laughs> I was going to make that happen. <laughs> but you know, also, I was when you were writing about that time, um I was also thinking about about my my younger brother who uh, has schizoaffective disorder and right now is not being treated. He's actually in jail right now. Um, he's after being homeless for a period of time, but he's had some really serious psychotic episodes, but he's never really talked about them. He, you know, when he was well, after, after being on medication, he never really talked about them. And I often wondered, did he know what was going on at the time? And I found it was like really interesting that you, you did have some awareness that you were able to write about it afterwards. Um, I, was... I didn't write. Now, I, I I wrote this book 35 years after the episode. Okay. But you have to consider that I I write. I've I'm a writer. Right. I was born, and that's what I do. And and it it for years and years went in the bottom drawer. But when I was um, having that episode, it I was important. I had to keep a paper trail. Because I had to, you know, we had to know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for Pete's sake, I was going to prevent World War III. I mean, this was serious (laughs) business. So I wrote profusely when I was through the whole thing. And I had all those notes. So, yes, I had a rationality, but I kept that. Writing something down is really helpful for the mm-hmm. memory yeah. too but um even in my writing group all these years later i brought section and they said well what's the point you know they just kind of said this doesn't work at all and then i confessed to them that i had that i had put verbatim what i had written while i was in the hospital wow. and they said <laughs> well it, you know that isn't going to work and it didn't so i i softened it and uh yeah. So he did, you're saying your brother doesn't have a memory or an awareness of what happened. It's like he kind of had a blackout or a I don't know. Either he doesn't remember or he didn't want to talk about uh, it, you know. So I, I think he knew that he had an episode, but he never really and maybe nobody would want to. He just didn't go into detail about it, you know. And yeah. 
I don't know. I just I just found it interesting to read read your account of that. And as I was reading, I was thinking of him. So yeah, but several people have told me something similar. Yeah, yeah they've it, never talked about it. Mm-hmm. It's a big secret. Yeah, and mental illness is is something that affects so many people, and it's it is so so difficult for families um, to help a person because of the laws that we have. You know, like um, you have to really prove that the person is a danger to himself or others before you can get them help because they most of the time they won't go voluntarily. And that was the case with my brother. Um, And I don't know. It's it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. It might have been easier, I guess, when you were first having your your episodes at that time to get you in the hospital. But they didn't treat you right, did they? No. And I think looking back, I was actually lucky to have that, I mean, the total psychotic breakdown, I, I, I did things that were clearly not acceptable. I mean, going over to the school and pulling the, pulling the fire alarm and stepping on my glasses. I, I was a Looney Tune. And in retrospect, I think that saved me. Yeah. Because the uh, diagnosis was a no-brainer. And so it wasn't about not being able to get help. It was, what help can we give her? And the other part I want to add is that I was in a small town. I did have um, the status, I suppose, or the the feelers, the network of people out in the community to spread information about what do we do for Margot. I had a safety net, whether I accepted, you know, or recognized it or not. But they did diagnose me. The the diagnosis actually came out. It's not mentioned in the book. At when I saw the paper, is adjustment reaction to adult life, hmm. and that was supposed to help me so that I wouldn't be labeled as something for the rest of my life as schizophrenic. But in reality, I took that to mean that I had utterly failed as a human being Uh and that I couldn't even arrive at adulthood. So that was depressing. But yes, they prescribed me, uh, they diagnosed me as schizophrenic and told me I'd have to take Thorazine Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. That stuff is terrible. Yeah, you described it as almost paralyzing. It, it was awful, stiff yeah. as a board, stiff as a board. They, your family, your mom and your brother, I think, um, your they mother said, asked you to go off, didn't she? Yeah, and my brother, and they, and I was afraid I'd go insane again. Yeah. He told me I'd have to take it the rest of my life if I wanted to stay sane. And I didn't want to go insane again, but they said they liked me better. When, I mean, I was mm-hmm. a catatonic zombie. Wow. They cut up, it cut up my thoughts. Yeah. So I, you know, it's just, oh my goodness. So you did go off of it. And then this is where you kind of get into where you, you start truck driving school and become an over the road trucker. And I, I love the story because you were, you were sitting in a cafe having some coffee and I guess a couple of trucks drove by and you just had the idea, you know, <laughs> if I, if I'm describing this right, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just had the idea that, you know what, I'm going to be an over the road trucker and I'm going to drive all over the country and I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> and then I'll come home and I'll be good enough finally because yeah. I'll be famous. Yeah. <laughs> 
But we have to consider that I went for an entire year isolating in my home mm-hmm. And then culminating in a in a failed suicide attempt. Oh, yeah. You know, if yeah. I can't even die, that's right. I might as well live, is what I said. That's right. And I, and so the talk about the bottom end of bipolar. That's pretty horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. So if you suffer from depression, that's just so painful, and it's real. When mm-hmm. you're, it, you don't know. It just like when you're on the high end, you don't know. That this isn't real, right? Um, that it's just a high, and uh, yeah, and so I think there's another thank, thank the universe for allowing me to jump into being high again and having an enthusiastic plan. Yeah, you know, and and what is interesting to me is that when I was reading that this part of the book, I I love this part of the book. It just it was like a it seemed like a happy time for you almost. You know, it was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you 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 made this decision. You went to truck driving school and you started having all these adventures and you wanted to have these adventures. And it just seemed like you were spontaneous and that you were confident. And I wonder, did you see yourself that way? Did you feel that way at that time? I. I would have to say yes. It was the first independent act, independent decision I had made. All my other decisions in my life was how can I get you to like me so I'll be happy and have friends? Or how can I, you know, fit in because I'm faking, I'm pretending I don't know who I am. And so it was the first time that I said, Okay, I'll do this, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And so I was, like, free from all of that pretending. And I was anonymous. I wasn't in the small town where I thought everybody was looking at me, which they weren't. And so, yes, I was happy and confident, and yeah, there was a good time. And it was like, um, what, one thing I, I, I recognize in you, and I get, I guess it's because I, I at one time lived in like in a really bad neighborhood. And I remember I used to always have to kind of prepare myself for what, who might attack me if I get out of my car. And it's like, I, I would, I would see you doing that too throughout your book. You'd always have like a plan, you know, um, mm-hmm. like if, mm-hmm. if something happened. And I just thought, yeah, she's really smart. You know, she, she's taking care of herself. She's really smart. And then you write about, all these various partners that you had in, in your trucking career. And um, this was really interesting because, oh man, they all had their little things. You know, some of them were really, really difficult. Some of them were just really bad people, maybe. Some of them were good people. And then you would write about it. And I, I wonder, it seems like there was one section of your book when you looked back on some of these relationships with your partners and you mm-hmm. kind of wondered mm-hmm. if maybe you didn't view them right, that yeah. they were maybe um, kind of like what you described about your father, where you thought your father mm-hmm. wasn't, but then you saw the um, film. Is that, am I kind of getting that? Yes, I think you're getting it. I And I so appreciate, I just so appreciate this. Um, after I started going to the AA meetings, yeah. they talked about, you spot it, you got it. Have right. You, okay, so... I came, I said, well, you spot it, you got it. Well, all the stuff I spot in this truck driver and that truck driver, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't, I don't do that. And then I had some pretty incredible dreams and I, and all of a sudden I realized, oh yeah, all 
those men that I was promiscuous with back then, and even with Jeff, mm-hmm. is that I was looking for somebody to meet my needs, my fantasy of what a friend would be. And the truck drivers that drove me up the wall were lonely, and they were looking for somebody that would meet their needs, and they didn't know who I was from Adam, just like I didn't know who those men were from Adam. And I just went, oh, maybe I can be a little kinder. Yeah, and I didn't mention that. It was during this time when you were driving trucks that you had already gotten, before that, you were introduced to AA, because wasn't it like right after truck driving school that you had a DUI, and that's what got you going <laughs> to meetings? <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. That's, and how interesting that that also was the night before <laughs> I was to leave to go to my truck driving yep. job. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so you started going to meetings, and um, there's one thing that you wrote it, about this that I found kind of interesting because you're recounting where people in AA would tell you, well, what's your part? We always have to think about our part and stuff. Yeah. But it seemed like... Um, you were you you wrote about you know it's not really always our part. There were things that happened to you that 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 weren't your fault. That weren't um, you know something that that you had a part in. Did yeah. do you think that maybe sometimes we carry that too far about looking at our part in things? That's a good question. I think um, it varies. I mm-hmm. think it's probably on a spectrum of what's your part in mm-hmm. it. For me, I hadn't. I hadn't ever considered that my priority of saving money, no matter what, was selfish on my part as far as being kind to somebody that would go in and eat or sit in a restaurant with Mm -hmm. them if I didn't like them. And it had never considered, I had never considered that. And so the shift in perspective, I, I don't think I discounted that other people had their parts too, but I had never considered my part in it. That's a good point. And so in that respect, I would say it's a good tool. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be saying everything is my fault, but to at least if I see that I have a part to play, then I can choose whether that's the part I want or that maybe that's the part I want to adjust. So what was it like going to AA meetings while you're on the road? What was AA like at that time? And was it helpful to you? Well, I never thought I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't believe it. I thought, you know, hey, you guys talk about insanity. You want to know about insanity? I'll tell you about insanity. And if you think insanity is getting having a blackout, getting drunk, well forget it. I really was invested in believing that. Mm-hmm. And when I went, but when I went to AA meetings, I didn't have, I was not raised with the tools that AA had to offer. And, you know, I, as a writer, I wrote down, I wrote down the slogans and things they said. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't get over them. Yeah. And so when I went it had a feeling I had a a respite from being entirely alone. I had a respite from the cultures that I experienced in truck driving 
And I, and people said really interesting things. Mm -hmm. And so I loved going to the meetings. And when I say, how are they different? Well, boy, the meetings up in my hometown are, and then it's like family because I attend regularly. Mm -hmm. But the meetings in Los Angeles areas where I went, well, there were a hundred people. And, I didn't, you know, I didn't join in conversations. I I didn't, but I listened to what people shared and uh it was it was wonderful. And yet I was not a member. I didn't consider myself a member. I considered myself well, I don't know what I consider. Right. You know, also another topic I wanted to kind of touch on um that came up a couple times in your book was the subject of race uh because you grew up in a town where you weren't around minorities. You, you everybody was white, pretty much, That's and correct. so you were looking forward to having this experience where you would be the minority. And you actually went and had those experiences. Um, then you had one experience in Memphis that was really kind of frightening—a yeah. bla- blatant racist experience. Experience. Why did you write about race? Was this something that was important for you in your personal development? Um, I mean, they, they were they were really interesting parts of the book, but I'm wondering what 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 motivated you to write about that. You know, there was this conversation that I had with an African American. It was in Indianapolis, and it was kind of at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. And he and I ended up. Well, I got in his car. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just ridiculous the 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 risks I took. Mm-hmm. And he scared me a little bit, but in the end, we had a conversation about what the deal is between um, uh, black people and white people. And I thought he knew he knew more than I did. And he said um, that he thought uh, white women and black men mm-hmm. really have to. They've been beaten down and they they need to find each other they 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 identify with each other and black women and white men are they have more opportunities than the other way around he was quite strong on it and i can remember saying to me to him is that i think it's all about a sexual fantasy and so i i can't say what 29 year old Margot was uh i don't think i was rationally going to do a statistical study on what <laughs> on what african americans or what it felt like or what i just had um a curiosity yeah and uh, frankly we could extend my curiosity to many things i would prefer to go into a culture that is totally opposite my own, a third world culture, mm. as opposed to going to Europe. Yeah. That, I mean, is a vacation. So I think it's innate, it's kind of innate in me, the curiosity mm-hmm. to go someplace absolutely foreign, like yeah. truck driving. Well, that makes sense. And I love that part of your book, too. And I oh, love that conversation you. that you had with him. And then um, that experience in Memphis, too, where you were, um, oh, the, the fellow gave you the bike to ride, and, and you were going to yeah. tour the zoo, and, and you were in the black part of town. And, and it was yeah. this wonderful day. And then all of a sudden, at the end yeah. of the day, you go to get your truck, and somebody writes on the back of your truck, 
Um, yeah. Oh boy, uh, what what did he write? He was some. She rides with uh, the N word. Well, yeah. I, it's uh, <laughs> the N word drives this truck. The N okay. Uh, uh, the N F word. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah. the guy and was, was standing out there. It. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was something. So that that was uh, that was that was something else for you to experience that from coming from California. And I, and you really didn't have before that too much experience with the Southern part of the country. I don't think, did you? That was kind None. of a new route for you or None. something. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, getting to this part of the book now where you meet Hal, this seemed like another, you know, good time uh, for you. And this is also a time when you left AA. And when I was reading mm-hmm. that part of the book, you were describing, okay, your relationship with Hal and having a family. And it seemed like, like a good, happy time that Hal was very supportive. And you left AA. Now that I didn't read the rest of the book at that time, you know, I finally got to the other part where you go back to AA. But at mm-hmm. that point, I thought, okay, that was the final it. That was it. You know, she's happy. She left AA. She didn't need it anymore. What was that part of your life like? I left AA because his passion was Aikido, and Aikido met and trained at the same time that AA met. And I was supposed to, in my mind, be with my partner 24-7. And that's, I mean, it was like, we better be joined at the hip because I don't know what to do without yeah. you or something, even though I'm mad at you all the time. Yeah. And um, when I look back on it, I think uh, Aikido, it's a martial art, mm-hmm. gave me my higher power. And Aikido, if it is um, literally translated, it's harmony with the energy of the universe. And my theme is I don't belong. Nobody likes me. I don't belong. For some reason, that's what my habit belief that I'll go to. And so the harmony with the energy of the universe, my gosh, Aikido, well, I'm a believer in the blends that will bring an attacker to the ground and Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And it gave me an idea that everything is connected. And in science, over and over, you can just see the incredible connections between all things. Yeah. Well, if all things are connected, then how am I connected? I'm alive, so I must be connected. And it's it's kind of solved my, well, it's bigger than me. I'm connected, so I just need to do whatever footwork. I do to find out how, what my connection is to the universe. Mm. And that kind of solved that whole issue. And so, um, but I lost all the tools mm-hmm. when I quit going. And so even though I had that notion of harmony of the energy of the universe, I was angry yeah. and I was right mm. all the time because, well, because don't you know, I know what's. <laughs> we should be doing. So it had this whole element of pretending on the outside and then coming home to the family and being angry and right, but sober at dry. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a parallel to my family who went out and were the socialites and wonderful friends and everything. And then on the inside, we're drunk. And after 25 years of not drinking, you drank again. And, um, was it your son who saw you, uh, or I can't remember if it was your son and daughter 
It was my daughter. Your daughter. And um, that motivated you to get back to meetings, to go back to AA. It motivated me to go back, but I didn't want to go back immediately because I was uh, just about to leave for a two-week Spanish immersion course in Guatemala. And I wanted to drink in Guatemala. So I said, well, I'll come back and I'll get sober after the trip. And I went down there with colleagues that I had worked with for years and years, so uncomfortable with other people, sober, and I was the only one who had a room with a television in it. And I, it's a longer story, but I searched and searched and found bottles and had to really search to find corkscrews to open my bottles of wine. And I drank wine in my in my hotel room on a two-week vacation in Guatemala. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's alcoholism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you got back to meetings, and um, you've been fine since then. And you, I guess, you know, you, you've mentioned in your book that, you know, you found your tribe, that, you know, these, yeah. these are your people. And, and I have that sense, too. It's the... Um, it's what I love about AA is really the ability to form these connections with other people, um, who will just accept me, you know, and, um, and I just love it, you know, and it allows you to, I guess, open up parts of yourself to other people that you might not otherwise. Um, so, you know, I have a story that I just learned last night. First of all, separate is the first night I came in, there were seven people and I had counted them that discussed uh, attempting suicide. Mm. And some of them were hilarious. Yeah. And just, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And then, um, but last night is the first time I've ever heard this. Now, I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. But with um, drugs, the person chairing shared that she thought she'd, if she'd sober up a little bit if she went in and threw up. So she went in and threw up, but... I, up came her Oxycontin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And it was still whole. And she said, those are are pretty expensive. So (laughs) she fished it out of her vomit. And then as people shared, she wasn't the only one. (laughs) Two Mm. more that said they had done that also. And I just thought, oh my gosh, we are, we are a, (laughs) yeah (laughs) we are weird humans we're just so uh addicted to that immediate gratification of uh relief yeah i love though how you know it's funny uh, people that aren't familiar with aa they would be surprised at our gallows humor you know the things that we can laugh about (laughs) but i guess we can because it's like okay i'm not having this problem today and i'm talking about what happened at one time and you know Mm -hmm. we can laugh at it i guess because you know we somehow have managed not to you know find ourselves in that position today i guess but yes Um, at the end of your book, you wrote something that I think is worth anybody, anybody should read. Cause I found it interesting that your, your comments about mental illness and Mm -hmm. what you wrote in there is that you described some movies and I haven't seen all of these movies, but you said Mm -hmm. that, um, you wrote that, um, it would be better to have a story about the difficulty of finding the right treatment rather than all the other drama. 
Am I understanding yeah. that right? And do you want to expand on that a little bit? Well, I I wish for your brother to find a treatment. Yeah. You know, when I when I first took the very first, it took three and a half years, first of all, for the right medication. And I take three different types of medication. Mm-hmm. But the first medication he put me on was lithium. Mm. And I can remember exactly where I was standing in my house. And I stopped and I said, is this how other people get through a day? I I couldn't. It, it was just unbelievable that my brain was so calm or mm. that it was just so easy. I don't know how to put it in a verbal expression. And uh, as I, and my experience with people in my tribe in AA that I see uh, suffer with depression or do the cycling, the rapid cycling mm-hmm. of up, down, up, down, and their difficulty with um, uh, life and their resistance to taking medication or the attempt to get a medication and it doesn't work and giving up. I think one of the major blessings that for some reason is that I was sober for, what, 15 years before I started medication. So I had a really good uh, Mm. barometer to decide whether I was being triggered by something external to me or whether maybe a chemical had influenced my reaction. Such a good point. You know, my doctor told me that when I was first going on antidepressants, he told me that, you know, it's a good thing that you've not, you're not drinking because he says a problem he has with alcoholics, drug addicts is, you know, they really need to be off of their, they need to be free from that addiction for a while so that that he can understand what that behavior is. Is it part of the drug addiction or yeah. the alcoholism or is it part of the mental illness so yeah and, and can you help your doctor analyze what's exactly. going on exactly yeah. yeah yeah that was another good thing for me too is that after because i it was well there was good and bad for a long time i was dealing with depression without being treated for it and it was very difficult and it was after you know about 10 years of sobriety living like that but then I finally got help and I had a similar experience. It was like, wow, I'm, wow, I can, I can go and I can have a, a conversation so easily and I'm, I'm laughing. I'm, you know, it was just a different, it was a different right. experience and it was amazing to me. But now it's just kind of become normal. But yeah, I was, I had that ability after all that time in AA, I could finally ask for help, be honest and describe my feelings and so forth. Yeah. It, it it it's a gift, and I would love to have other people realize that gift. Yes, and okay. I would love to have it become uh, uh, socially appropriate to share our experiences. But how how can other people understand? It's the same as how. Why don't you just quit drinking? Right. Well, duh. But they they don't get it no. that. It's such an obsession. Well, just to conclude things, let's talk about your life today. Um, I know you write poetry, and um, mm-hmm. I wonder if you want to talk about that a little bit or what, or whatever you might want to talk about of what brings happiness into your life today. I, I didn't know how writing Shift Happens would change me. 
And it's not even the writing of it, it's the publishing of it and letting it go out in the world. Mm. There's a spaciousness inside me that it's, I'm more interested in hearing other people's stories. Mm. I'm more interested in listening. I'm more interested, I have more patience to listen and be a friend authentically, no strings attached with waiting to tell my story. And um, I'm too busy now. <laughs> I don't like being this busy. But um, and be careful what you wish for. Yeah. But the 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 poetry now. I've started going to a Tuesday night open mic every Tuesday night, and I'm developing a writer's tribe. Mm-hmm. And I am free. I'm free to be this person that writes this stuff. I, I don't have to, uh, I'm not about being judged, and I, I'm i not judging. Right. What not that a miracle? Isn't that a miracle? Yeah. I judge everybody. Same as, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I'm very happy. I get along with my husband. Mm-hmm. In the last 10 years, since AA, and I stepped back, and I started saying, well, let's look at him rather than saying, if only you would, then I would be happy. I, I had that one going. Yeah. And when I finally stepped back and said, I wonder who he is, you know, yeah. and watched rather than, had, I kind of dropped my expectation. Well, I've had, my marriage has never been better. It, it's just, and he has opened up. So, and the writing came step by step by step for writing. Oh, I, I mean, it just fell into place. I didn't struggle as far as getting people that wanted to meet with me and share writing and respond on it. Yeah. And it just grew. So, yeah, I feel like I'm living the life beyond my wildest dreams. Well, that's wonderful. And I, I look forward to um, getting uh, to exp- uh, know some of your poetry. We're, we're actually going to start publishing poetry at AA Beyond Belief. There's a, a fellow, oh. there's a guy who has been writing poet- poems a day, mm-hmm. a poem a day ever since he's been sober. And he's got like oh. 4,000 of these poems. And they're actually, oh, I, I'm not the best judge of poetry, but I think they're pretty good. So <laughs> we're, we're going to post these things like every Wednesday we're going to post some of his poetry and um, I just think it's great it's for him and he, he wrote a little bit about th- that writing for him was therapeutic that that was the mm-hmm. best way he has writing poetry was the best way mm-hmm. he had of communicating and understanding his feelings it is a voice it's a special voice yes the poetry well, thank you oh, so much wonderful. for taking the time to speak with me. I mean, that was very generous of you to spend an hour here talking with me. <laughs> um, but I love your book. I am thrilled. Thank you. Well, your book is wonderful. And I, th- I think that the people in our community are going to really enjoy it. And I really like the, the aspect that it, it covers both, you know, mental illness and addiction and it even is it's even a travel log, you know, it talks about, you know, life as a as a trucker over the road and all the people yeah. and ventures. It's just a really wonderful story. So thank you for writing that. You are dear and I am humble. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Shh. 
Shift Happens is available at Amazon.com in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening.